Well, good morning. How are we? Everybody all right? Everybody let your heart rate go down for a minute. I got to take a deep breath. Mark, you can still sing like an angel. Thanks, brother. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, good. It's great to be with you all this morning. Great to see all your faces. Dads, happy Father's Day. Is it a happy Father's Day for you, dads? You know, I've been called many names, a lot of names, some good, some bad, um, but dad's my favorite. And uh, I love being the dad to these two little ones. They're, uh, Lane's my best bud and Drew's my little sweetheart. See, I've got the best of both worlds. I got a boy and we can rus- wrestle, we can, you know, play ball, we can do all the things, right, bud? And then I've got a sweet little cuddle buddy named Drew who I love so much. And so thank you all for, for allowing me to be your daddy. It's a great pleasure to get to be here with you today and say happy Father's Day to everybody. This is a fun week in the life of our church. Matter of fact, this is one of my favorite weeks of the entire year of our church, VBS. Uh, what you don't know is that for the last month, my house has looked like Hobby Lobby threw up. Um, Jordan does a major part of the set, so all these things, you're going to see these cool big thing that's like eight panels wide that's going to go up here and she does all that she stays up till 1 a.m almost every night try to get ready for this oh the best part of it is when it all leaves my house and comes here and but I'm super excited there's as Aaron said there's over 200 kids who are going to come here about the name of Jesus which is awesome over 100 volunteers 80 youth volunteers I mean man this is a huge effort in our church and so please be in prayer for that Um, it's going to be a blast. And if you're looking for a good time, this is where you need to be this week. Um, you're welcome to be here. Um, come hang out with us. If you want to come for the morning assembly, it's a lot of fun. I I would encourage you to be here and to support the the teachers and the the leaders and the kids that are going to be involved. It's going to be a blast. So maybe you've heard the phrase, maybe you can probably even finish my sentence here. Uh, when the cat is away, Wow, man, y'all are good. We're really tracking together. You know that over the last 16 months, you can even finish my sentences. How about that? It's pretty great. When the cat is away, the mice will play. You know, that's a a phrase, a a thing that we've come to know, an expression that is meant to mean that when the cat or the person in authority is away, the people under the authority, the mice, will you know, they'll, they'll, they'll experience this idea of freedom, right? This whole idea of well, when the authority's not here, then I can do as I, I please. I'm free to do as I please. You know, I remember experiencing this firsthand as a kid. Um, I, personally, I was blessed. I had an awesome dad. Um, I grew up in a home with an awesome dad who was always present, who sacrificed a ton for me. Um, but there was this point where dad would go away for, for, for a business trip and, and I was super pumped. Sorry, Dad, I know you're watching. <laughs> I love you. Um, you know, and, and it wasn't because Dad was gone, but it was because I could manipulate my mom. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> and, and here's the deal, right? Dad would go away, and he'd be on, on, on a trip for, for work, and I knew that I could talk my mom into letting me stay up a little bit later. And if I was really lucky, if I played my cards right, I could convince her to let me uh, sleep in their bed, which was a king size bed. I could stretch out. Oh, I was the man of the house. It was awesome. You know, and so it was great. But here's the, here's the true reality. Dad, you know, it's true. Um, when dad was gone, 
for whatever reason, I always found myself to be in trouble. He never seemed to fail. Dad got the phone call. Hey, you need to talk to Logan <laughs> when dad was gone. I don't know why that is. Um, but as I was doing some research yesterday, I, I think I realized why it's true. In fact, there is a, an epidemic that is happening across our country right now. And that epidemic is not COVID. I know we're done talking about that. It's over. We're moving forward. Um, it's fatherlessness. There's this, this growing epidemic all throughout our country right now, and, and, it, and it's father, fatherlessness, and it's, quite frankly, it's wreaking havoc on our country and on future generations. As a matter of fact, I've got this slide. I want to show you this slide. Look at this. Fatherlessness in America. 19.5 million children are without a, out a father in their home. Isn't that crazy? This is from the... U.S. Census Bureau, that means one in four kids are without a father in the home. Now, research, here's what the research shows about when you grow up in a fatherless home. Here, here's, it's pretty, pretty rough. So if you grow up in a home without a dad, you're four times greater risk of living in poverty, two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to go on to commit crimes that lead to prison, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, two times more likely to suffer from obesity and other health-related issues, two times more likely to drop out of school. Wow. You know, on the, the negative side of this is the truth that dads, for better or worse, there's a lot riding on us. There's a lot riding on you, but on the other side, more positive side, here's the, the good side of that is you matter. As a matter of fact, after 2,000 years, the Bible still has it right. God's design remains true. That in a home, mom and a dad, where they create an ecosystem, so to speak, of a healthy environment, it's a healthy environment for kids to grow and to thrive. Dads, you matter. Now, this morning, I recognize that in a room this size, we've got about a thousand people in here this morning, give or take. I recognize that in a room this size, there are many of you who had a great experience growing up. Maybe you had a fantastic dad. Maybe you're like me and you've grown up and you and your dad are best friends. And man, that's awesome. That's great. Um, maybe many of you in the room had a terrible experience um, maybe dad was abusive emotionally, physically. Maybe dad wasn't absent. Maybe he was absent. Uh, maybe you had just a horrible experience. Maybe some of you in the room this morning didn't have a dad at all. You don't even have an experience to be able to speak of. I mean, your experience is simply, well, you just don't have one. Um, I would also say that probably many of you, at least a few of you, maybe you could even say, if you were honest with yourselves, that you've contributed to this problem this morning. Now, here's the good news. The good news of all of this is that whether we've had a good experience, bad experience, or indifferent, God transforms through the gospel the fatherless crisis that we're experiencing in America. In fact, God, 
God is so big, he's so wonderful that he gave his son to us, to this earth. He gave his life for you and for me so that you and I, so that fatherlessness would be completely and totally transformed. And so this morning, I want us to take a few minutes. We're gonna take a step away from our series, A Captive Life, and we're gonna focus on this issue because again, I want you to see how the gospel transforms transforms this problem here in America. So here's where it all begins. By the way, this is where everything begins. Genesis 1 through 11, fantastic 11 chapters. As a matter of fact, all of the questions that you have, or maybe even the questions that you don't even know that you have, are actually answered in those first 11 chapters of the Bible. But in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, whether we realize it or not, God creates us to live in perfect relationship to him as our father. God created you and me to live in perfect relationship to him as our father. Then in Genesis 2, God creates Adam and Eve to live with him, to dine with him, and to live under his good and right authority. Now, you know how the story continues. In Genesis 3, while God was away... Right? When God was away, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. Right? They uh, set his authority aside. They did what pleased them. They disobeyed him. And that's what got us in the mess, this mess in the first place, is that they disobeyed God. They stepped out of sight of his design. And here we are. This is where we find ourselves. And from that moment on, what we find is that our relationship with our heavenly father has been fractured. As a matter of fact, the fatherlessness crisis that we're experiencing today goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, where you and I made the decision to disobey God and that heavenly father relationship was shattered. In fact, Paul would even describe it this way in Ephesians 2.1. He says, because of that decision, he says, we are now separated from God We are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We are strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Wow. In layman's terms, what Paul is saying here is that because of that single decision, we have been cut off from the family of God and its benefits. To put it in a better way, we are spiritually orphaned. All of us, that's what all of us have in common. So no matter whether you had an incredible experience growing up, a tough experience growing up, or no experience with a dad at all, we all have one thing in common, is that you and I, we are all spiritually orphaned. We are spiritually without a home. Again, the fatherlessness that, was, fatherlessness that we experience today is because we have walked away from our Heavenly Father in the very first place in the first book of the Bible. But here's where it's all transformed. This is great. In the book of Ephesians, chapter one, verse three, Paul's writing, and I want you to key in on verse five here in just a second. But in Ephesians one, three, Paul writes this. He says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, here's where I want you to key in. This is good. He says, in love. And love, God predestined us for, keyword, adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, Paul provides us with an answer to our predicament, this this predicament of spiritual orphan. 
We're all spiritual orphans. That's the predicament. He says that in Christ we have been adopted. That's the key word, adopted. But not only have we been adopted, but he says that we've been adopted to the degree that now we are a part of his family. He uses the word beloved, beloved. Notice that that word is capitalized beloved. Uh, that's not, uh, doesn't mean that he's describing something that we long for, that we want, although that would be true. What Paul is doing, the reason why he capitalized beloved is because he wants you to see that this is a place of belonging. It's not simply something that, describing something that we want, but he's, he's telling us something that has taken place, that at one point you were separated, now you have been adopted. At one point you were an orphan, now you have a home. He, is, he, he has welcomed you into his home, into his family. He's given you a seat at his table. He's lavished you with the blessing of being a part of his family where he feeds you, he clothes you, he takes care of you. He does all of these things for you because you are now in his family. You are a part of his beloved it has this idea of meaning that you are no longer this orphan with no future, with no hope, but you are now his son or his daughter in whom he is well pleased. Let that sit on you. Maybe you grew up and, and you didn't have a dad to tell you, hey, you got what it takes or, hey, sweetheart, you're beautiful. Because you've been adopted by him. You now sit at his table where you are affirmed and you are acknowledged as his son or his daughter in whom he takes great delight and whom he sets his pleasure on for nothing of, of your own doing. It is simply an act of his grace. Listen, there are at least eight implications of this. When we start talking about this idea of adoption, there's, I, I could probably come up with 50, but I, I thought I would save you the time and get you out to, to lunch before everybody else. And so I've only got eight for you, okay? So I got eight implications of this idea of us being adopted into God's family. The first one is this, that we are chosen. We're chosen. We're chosen. In the Ephesians passage above, Paul says that we are chosen by God. That means that God stepped into an orphanage, but he didn't just casually step into an orphanage, but he stepped in with a purpose. He walked into an orphanage, and about the same time that he shows up to that orphanage, the director of the orphanage signals the alarm, makes an announcement, tells all the kids, hey, listen, there's a family here that's coming to adopt you. He's going to pick one of you. You're going to be adopted today. And so all of the kids in the orphanage, obviously they put on their Sunday best, best behavior, all of those things. They line up eager to be adopted, eager to have a new home, a new family. And God steps in with a purpose and he goes through the line. And guess what? He doesn't choose the one who's the best looking, the most handsome, the most beautiful. He doesn't choose the one who has the best intellect or maybe was voted most likely to succeed, but rather God looks over all of them and he looks at the one over there in the corner who nobody would choose. Maybe because they're too old, maybe because they have baggage. And he says, hey, you over there in that corner, he says, you're mine. He says, you over there with all the baggage that nobody else wants. He says, I, I choose you. You know, I think one of the tough things about growing up in the place that we grew up and having the access to church and the access to, you know, 
Christianity and those different things is I think sometimes we can lose sight of that. We can start thinking that somehow, some way, we deserve God's grace, that, that maybe God owes us something, or that we start, we start thinking a little bit too highly of ourselves, and, and we don't recognize the fact that, that in that line of orphans, we were the one in the corner. We were the one with all the baggage that God saw through, and he said, hey, I'm not worried about all the baggage. You come to me. You come follow me. I mean, look at the Bible. It's littered with the people that God uses. They're not the pretty, most athletic, most best-looking, most likely-to-seed kind of folks. God uses the ones that nobody else would use. I want you to hear that when God adopts you, it's because he chose to adopt you. He didn't have to. He wanted to. God chose you. Number two, I want you to see that because we are adopted, we are also forgiven. You know, God knew every bit of our baggage, and in the adoption process, he forgave all of it. He knew what he was getting. Paul writes this in Colossians 2.13. We mentioned this last week, but he says, In Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, and yet God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Listen, in the adoption process, God canceled your debt forever. That means that God got all of the paperwork. He got it all. He knows every detail. He knows every poor decision. He knows every mishap. He knows every wayward thought. He knows every single bit of it. And hear me, he didn't turn away. And guess what? When you mess up in his home, and you will, he doesn't open the door and say, hey, you're no longer mine. Your debt has been completely totally forgiven, past, present, future, fully, freely, and forever. Our Father no longer holds anything against us, but relates to us according to his grace. That means that there's never going to be a point where CPS comes knocking at the door and says, hey, I'm taking him away. I'm taking her away. In fact, we are chosen, we are forgiven. Number three, we are saved. Because God has adopted us into his family, we are saved. This might seem quite obvious, but I want to press in a bit more because I think I, think I want you to hear that as, with God as my father, I no longer have to fear death. I, I, don't, I don't have to fear death. I've been thinking about this a lot here lately. I don't have to fear death. I want you to hear that. You don't have to fear death. Because God has adopted me into his family, I no longer live for this world, but I live for the world to come, which means my investment, my inheritance is in the world to come. And I know that your life is great. I know that you love all the things in this world, but listen to me, all of those pale in comparison to what awaits us in heaven. And so we don't have to fear 
death because Christ died on our behalf so that we could live with him. Literally, there's no death for us. That's why Paul could say to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That when we die, there's nothing but gain for us. And yet we live like that's not true. But it is. Because he's adopted us into his family. So now we can declare death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Death no longer has a victory over us. But not only does death no longer have any victory over us, neither does our enemies. Maybe you grew up as a kid and maybe you were bullied. Maybe you were pushed around. Maybe even today you you still feel that way. Listen, let me tell you, because you are adopted into God's family, your enemies no longer have anything over you. They can't touch you. In fact, uh, what Paul writes in Colossians chapter Chapter 2, verse 15, he says that in Christ, he has disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he has put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. In other words, in our adoption process, our enemies have been defeated and we can say with confidence that no one can take our dad. Nobody, nothing on this earth can touch you because we are adopted in him We are untouchable. Wow. How amazing is that? So we are chosen, we are forgiven, we are saved. But number four, we're secure. We are secure. Speaking of this, I love these words. These are the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 27. John records Jesus saying this. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one, listen to this, no one, not even you, can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me, he is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And that is powerful. That is a powerful truth that you need to hear that I need to preach to myself is that no matter what happens, there is nothing that can take me away from my father in his home. I am secure. When we give our lives to Jesus, the promise is that from that moment on, no one can remove you from the place at his table. There's no paperwork that's suddenly gonna show up and remove us from our position as his son and daughter. There's no amount of baggage that he's gonna say, man, well, I'm just done dealing with this. There's no point in which God goes, well, man, I am just sick and tired. Man, Logan, you know, my goodness, if he could just get his stuff together. There's never a point where God gets to, gets to that, that point where he's like, man, I, mm, I'm just going to have to let him go. But just like the prodigal son, there's always a seat at the table in his family. We are secure. We are secure. Number five, we are loved. In Ephesians, Paul says that the entirety of the adoption process all began with God's love and nothing to do with us. He writes, it was according to his love that he adopted us. In fact, John 3.16, one of the well-known verses that many of us have grown up to memorize, Jesus tells us why he came. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Our adoption wasn't because of anything that we had done or didn't do. It was simply an act of God's grace 
by his love. Listen, there's a well-known phrase in Christian circles that we kind of, kind of throw around, but it's this idea that I don't have to clean myself up to come to Jesus, but I come to Jesus and then I allow him to clean me up by his love. It was God's love that he set on you, calling you to himself, in which now you have been adopted into his family. This is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, a free gift to you and to me, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, the adoption process began with his love, and it is sustained by his love. For nothing of your own doing. And because God's love can't be earned, it also can't be lost. When God chooses to set his love upon you, there's no place you can run. There's nowhere you can hide. There's no amount of sin that you can do that you can outrun the gift of God's grace and his love to you. It is his gift. Now, here's the, cool, here's, the, here's the deal. Because God has set his love upon you and he has adopted you into his family, that leaves us to number six, which is that means that we are disciplined by him. We are disciplined by him. Quoting from the wisdom of Solomon, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 12, 5, he says, my son, he says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. And as he continues, he would remind us of the good nature of God to discipline us as he trains us for righteousness. Now, you may be thinking, because maybe your experience growing up in a, in a home with, with an abusive dad, uh, maybe you think, well, discipline, what in the world? Like, wh why would God, if God's love, why would he be disciplining me? Well, he disciplines you because he loves you. See, apart from discipline, we never grow. We never change. And God's will for you, by the way, is not that you would have a bunch of stuff or that you would be wealthy or that you would have this relationship or that relationship or this amazing job. God's will for you is that you would look more like his son, Jesus. That's God's will for you. His will is that you would grow up into maturity and that you would look more and more and more and more like Jesus. And it is God's good will to see that formed in you. And so God uses the circumstances in our lives to discipline us and to shape us and to mold us so that on the other side of glory, when we stand before God, that we will be what he started in us, we will bring it to completion on the day that you and I receive our inheritance as we enter into his kingdom, you and I will be formed into the likeness of Christ. That's God's will for you. And that is his desire for you as his child is that you would grow up and you would look more and more and more like him. Number seven, I want you to hear this. Because God has adopted you into his family, you can rest assured that you are cared for that you will always be cared for, that there's never gonna be a point in your life where God doesn't care for you and for your needs, physical, spiritual, and emotional, because you are his son and you are his daughter. He cares for you. He cares for you. Quoting, uh, quoting from, 
from Jesus, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Here's what Peter tells his, his readers. He says, cast their anxieties on God, for he cares for you. Jesus would say very similar in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Matthew chapter 7, verse 31, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious about anything, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we wear? For unbelievers seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need when you need it. Whether you realize it or not, whether you believe it or not. And to be honest, I, I think this is something that we struggle with. I think this is something we struggle with as a church is trusting that God knows what we need, when we need it, and he's gonna provide for it. He, because he cares for you. It's not out of obligation, it's out of his love. Listen, if Lane came to me and said, Daddy, I need something from you, I will move mountains to make sure that he is cared for. If Drew comes to me and says, Daddy, I really want this or I really need this, you know, I might not be able to give her all of her wants, but you can rest assured I'm going to do everything I possibly can to give her her needs. And you know what? I'm going to try to give her her wants. Listen, we are spoiled. We are spoiled. And I don't think we realize how spoiled we are when we were adopted into God's kingdom. It says that he lavishes his inheritance upon you and me. And I just don't think we realize how spoiled we really are that the God of the universe has set his love on you, invited you into his home, has given you everything, including his son, and yet we still don't trust him. How does that make sense? Has anybody ever died for you? And if somebody did die for you, if somebody gave their life for you, if somebody stepped out in front of a car, a bus for you, and by God's grace they lived, would you trust them? Would you trust them with your life? Would you trust them with your finances, with your gifts, with your kids, with your job, with your home, with your fears and your worries? Would you trust them? I think you would. So knowing that you've been adopted into the family of God, Knowing that you're secure in that, that God loves you to the degree that he gave his son for you, why on God's green earth do you not trust him? I think I'm going to go to my death wondering that. Lord, why do we not trust you? Why are we so prone to wander? And yet even then, even when we don't trust him, he doesn't shut his door to you or to me. He still welcomes us with open arms, eagerly waiting for us to come back to him, to confess, to repent and say, God, I agree with you, I don't trust you. And yet, here I am again. Thank you for forgiving me and accepting me. We are cared for. Number eight, finally, I want you to see this, that because we've been adopted by God, we've been adopted in his family, we're his son, his daughter, we are understood. We are understood. In fact, we are understood because God is always present in our lives. You ever felt understood or misunderstood? You ever felt like, man, people just don't get me? Well, there's never a point in your life where God doesn't get you or understand you or know where you're coming from. You ever gotten to that point where you feel like, man, I just wish I could explain myself? 
Now, there's so many times in leadership where it's just like, man, I, I wish I could just, I wish I could just explain myself, but, but you know what? I don't have to worry about that. And you don't either because God knows he sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He understands everything about you. He knows every complex situation that you've ever been in and will ever be in. He knows it all. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly. He knows every stinking bit of it. All of it. He knows it. And guess what? He's always present. Maybe you grew up in a home where your dad wasn't present. Listen, let me just tell you, your heavenly father never leaves you or forsakes you. As a matter of fact, he looked away from his son on the cross so that he would never look away from you. I mean, think about that. On the cross, Jesus hanging for you and for me, for your sin and my sin. He's hanging up there all alone and the father turns his face away so that he could turn his face toward you and toward me and that he would no longer regard me according to my sin, but he would regard me according to Christ's righteousness. That's what it means to be an adopted son or a daughter in his family. That's what it means to be given a seat at the table that when you think, oh man, I've blown it. Here's what he says. He says, I've called you by name. You are mine. I've called you by name. You are mine. Listen, that is a phrase that you ought to never get tired of hearing. And on your worst day or on your best day, you need to declare this over your life. I am your son, I am your daughter, and I am yours. Now, I want to land the plane this way. There are a couple of different applications. There's one for all of us, um, and I want you to hear that, that because, because all of these things are true, right? Because all of these things are true, that you're chosen, you're forgiven, you're saved, you're secure, you're loved, you're disciplined, you're cared for, you are seen and you are understood. Because all of those things are true, every single one of us Every single one of us ought to be able to rest in the relationship that we now have with our Heavenly Father. Like you ought to be able to go, and maybe, maybe you had a terrible experience growing up. And so on this Father's Day, you're thinking, golly, how in the world am I supposed to relate to him? Well, this is how you relate to him by preaching these things over yourself, knowing that they are true, that in Christ, you are chosen, you are saved, you are forgiven, you are secure, you are disciplined, you are loved, you are seen and you are cared for. Wow. So that's, that's application for all of us. Now dads, listen to me. You saw those statistics right? You and I have a huge task, a huge responsibility that is on our shoulders, but look at me, but you don't have to do it alone. You're going to blow it and you're going to mess up. And you know what? There are going to be times when our kids are going to go to counseling because of some of the silly things that we did. But you know what? We run back to our heavenly father and we say, Lord, forgive me. And then we run to our son and our daughter and say, sweetheart, hey, bud, I love you. Forgive me. 
the greatest things that you and I as dads can do is that we can mirror the thing that we receive from God to our children. The greatest legacy that you and I can leave is to create a space where our kids are saved, where our kids are loved, where they are forgiven, where they are secure, where they are seen, where they are cared for, and where they are disciplined. And don't give up. Don't give up. Now, here's the third one. Um, Many of you in the room, maybe you grew up and you didn't have a dad. Maybe you still don't have a dad, and and you're hungry for that. And you just, man, I wish I had a dad in my life. I wish I had somebody in my life who could teach me. How how do I be a dad? How 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 do I live as a young man? Maybe that's you in the room. Listen, part of being adopted into the family of God is that in your inheritance is that you inherited a ton of different spiritual fathers. In fact, in this church, one of the things that I love about this church is that we are a multi-generational church. That means uh, no matter what age, you have a part here, right? That you have a place here, and that's intentional because we believe that the generations matter. I believe that there is power when a great-granddad sits on one side of the table and great-grandson sits on the other side of the table, and they learn from one another. I think we're better for that. I think if we separate our generations, we are robbing us of a strong, healthy future. And so when we have been adopted into the family of God, we're not just adopted into a young family or an old family, we're adopted into a holistic family, right? Where we can learn from each other and we can grow and we can move forward together. And so there are many of you in this room who are spiritual fathers, and maybe you don't even know that. You don't even know that. Maybe you think, well, I don't have anything to offer. Listen to me, I'm telling you, you have a ton to offer. Do you love the Lord? Do you love his church? Do you love your wife? Do you love your kids? Are you doing the best you can with what you got? Then listen, you are equipped with the Holy Spirit to pour into the next generation. And listen, if you do not, you're hurting us. You're hurting the church. And so I'm calling you out and I'm saying, hey, be available, be ready to pour into the next generation. Now, listen to me, young guys, you need somebody in your life who's pouring into you. You need a spiritual father. I've got a bunch of them, man. I'm blessed with a ton of men who've taken an interest in me for whatever reason. I don't know why, but they have taken an interest in me and they have blessed me. And I am the man that I am today because of those men. Because I had a dad who loved me, who cared for me, who taught me how to treat, a, treat my wife and my kids and all of those things. And I've had a ton of spiritual fathers who have poured into me, who continue to pour into me. And I'm so thankful for all of them. You need one of them. And so I'm going to do something crazy. You know, I, you know me, I'm always doing something crazy. Here's what I'm going to do. If you're a man in the room and you're willing to take on a younger man and to pour into him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up. If you've got the time... If you've got the energy and you've got the spirit, all right, I want, all right, guys, there's a bunch of guys. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so hear me. If you want a dad, look around the room. There's a lot of dads who are ready and willing to stand with you, to pour into you, and to run the race with you. Now, younger men, I want you to take a note. And after this service, I want you to go to these guys and I want you to grab one and say, hey, will you pour into me? Will you pour your life into me? Will you raise me up to be a godly man who loves the Lord and wants to pursue him? 
I want you to take note of these guys because after the service, I don't want to hear anybody walk out of the room going, man, gosh, I just, I don't know what it means to be a godly man. Yes, you do. And you have the men who are ready to equip you. Okay. Awesome. Y'all can sit down. Thank y'all so much. Yeah. Listen, we're a multi-generational family for a reason because of stuff like that. How awesome. There are churches all across our area, all across the U.S. who can't, who, who wouldn't have men stand up like we just did. That's not going to be us. And that group is going to pour into the next generation of men who are going to stand up. In 50 years, men, you're going to be standing up. And you're going to pour into the next generation. And then you're going to pour into the next generation. And then we're going to continue to pour into the next generation. And we're going to see something amazing happen through our church. Because men stepped up to be the godly men that God's called us to be. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Lord, thank you for the love that you have given to us in Christ. God, where would we be apart from that? Where would we be apart from you pursuing us through the person and the work of Jesus. God, I pray for every man in here, Lord, that they would be blessed on this Father's Day, but more importantly, they would look to you as our perfect heavenly Father and that they would chase after you, they would chase hard after you, and as they do that, Lord, that they would represent you in their homes, in their workplaces, in our communities, and that we would see a community transformed through the powerful work of the gospel in our lives. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would love to talk with you about how you can do that and how you can begin a relationship with uh, your heavenly father. But before, or I, we can talk right after the service, I would love to do that. Uh, but there's also a fun video that I want you to see right here to highlight our dad. So guys, would y'all hit that video real quick?